What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadamino. This is the Dengo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Jeffrey Seglin, class of 1978. Uh, Jeff's going to tell us everything about his time at Bethany and how he ended up being what he is now, the director of the communications program at the Harvard Kennedy School. But without further ado, here's Jeff to tell his story. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is Jeffrey Seglin. Class, Seglin, class of, I, and we just talked about that. Too. You had a 50 50 shot. <laughs> class of 1978. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. What we're going to do is the same thing we do every week. I can't give him turners because, again, I don't know how to pass that through a, a, a webcam. We'll figure it out. I promise I will figure it out and I will get everybody that hasn't had tea. We'll get you your tea. But Jeffrey's going to tell us everything about his time in Bethany transferring in and uh, his time, what he did as a student, what the culture was like at Bethany, everything like that. And then we'll take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about that evil test that everybody fears and which still makes Bethany what it is today and everything since you've graduated. So let's start with, I guess it would be 1974 when you got to college. I started college in 74. I got out of high school in 74 and I was young, but I didn't go to Bethany. I, I went to Washington and Lee, which at the time, I went to a school in uh, nor Northern New Jersey, which was a very good lacrosse school. And I played lacrosse on a public, it was Booton High School. I played on the public team and we were state champions that year. So we became very popular among the schools that had really strong lacrosse teams. I was third or fourth string. I hardly ever played. I wasn't very good. Um, but Washington and Lee was really uh, good and, um, I went, they, they gave me a nice package. It was in Lexington, Virginia, which is beautiful. Wasn't really sure that I knew it was an all-male school That's when I went down there um, and stayed there for a semester. It's a beautiful place. Um, I'm still in touch with some people from there, some of whom, one of whom went on and was the president of the school. Um, and then I, I left after my freshman year and um, took a semester off and worked in the restoration of Colonial Williamsburg as dressed up in costumes. And I was the guy who would deliver the stuff like the andirons and the things they made for fireplaces to the stores that stole them. And I would, so I was one of those guys. And I took, I went to school at a community college. It was Christopher Newport College. Okay. It was a community college at the time. I think it's a full four-year university now. May have gone some other places and ended up transferring into Bethany in fall of 75. So how did you, how did you find Bethany? What was the- Yeah, I was trying to remember that. Um, I, I think I read some pieces and in in I, I was keep trying to keep up with reading. I think I was interested a little bit in popular culture. I think I read some pieces by people who were there at the time, but I was also occasionally looking at other colleges to go to full-time because I figured I'd be going back. At some point, again, I'm really young. Um, I'm, I'm probably 17 at this point in, okay. in second year. and. Uh, but I remember go, going to Bethany to visit it when I was thinking about going there and it was in the winter and it was that weird thing that happens at Bethany when the snow is kind of falling in front of Old Main and it's kind of like powder. It looks like a snow globe almost, it's yeah. beautiful. And then Bethany didn't have a lacrosse team. It has one now, it has a club now. And I think it might've gotten a club by the time I graduated, but there was no lacrosse there. But I walked into the admissions office and Walter Bortz was the head of the admissions office at the time. and. I, I swear I walked in and he was cradling a lacrosse ball in a lacrosse stick when I was walked into his office and I thought, you don't have a lacrosse? I thought this guy is smooth. I think he must have researched everything about everybody who was coming there and he was trying to figure out what can I do to convince this guy to transfer here. So he was a nice guy. I, the campus was beautiful and um, I, it, I just fell in love like viscerally with the place from the beginning. I had no idea what it was going to be like when I got there, but I came there that uh, that fall in 75. So in, in 75, what did you, what what was your field of study once you, now did you declare when you it, got I here? I didn't, or? no, I, I was, first of all, I was, I, I pledged as a Sigma Chi down at Washington and Lee, so it made it really easy to go to a lot of fraternity parties at, Beth, at Bethany, but not have to pledge, so that yeah. was good. <laughs> I never, no one ever asked me if I activated at Sigma Chi, but I would just say, no, I pledged Sigma Chi, and they would say, oh, we don't have, so, so, it was, um, so it was easy to have friends at lots of different houses. Um, I thought at Washington Lee I wanted to study political science. 
didn't really want to do that. I took a sociology course at the community college, never took any English courses or anything, but I took a course with, um, it, it's a weird, it was a weird experience there coming back, coming in as a transfer student, because you don't do a freshman seminar and you're in kind of a house. I think I was up at Goodnight. Okay. I don't know who's up there now. I was up at Goodnight with all the transfer students. And, um, and you know, John Cunningham was, I think, the dean of students at the time. And he would sort of sit down with you and say, I think this person's too hard. I think this person is too easy. And I thought, well, what about the course at Bed? Anyway, he was trying to sort of navigate around. And I ended up taking a, a course in Charles Dickens with David Judy, who was the head of the theater department. And I loved it. And then I took a course and the, there were, I think there were two credit courses and then took a course in Southern fiction with Larry Grimes. And um, so those were the two people I had first for English classes. Mm -hmm. And I thought I, I'd like to do this. So, I, so I, I started taking more English courses and sort of declared my major by the end of that semester because I was already kind of, because of the transfer and stuff, I think, I think I graduated with exactly the right number of credits. Right on so the number. I had, a, I had a bowling course in there. I learned how to ski. There was a skiing course in there. I mean, I was taking every credit I could get to sort of do that um, and um, ended up declaring it and, uh, and just loved it. It was great. It was, um, I like to write, I like to read. Uh, there were, Larry was there, um, Helen Louise McGuffey, um, David Judy, Tony Mitch, Robin Cole. I mean, they were all, um, it was just a great department to work with. And there were a lot of us. There were probably 15 or 20 English majors at the time. Well, and, and you know, you brought Dr. Grimes up and I, I we've talked, there was a story that you told me about uh, a football game that that happened and, and there will be people that, that don't. Oh, yes. There will be yes. people that are current students that, that this is going to be a mind-blowing story for them. Um, intramural football down in the Cobol before it was a parking lot. It was a, it was a field. Yep. And, and there's a, there's a Larry, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Grimes is a very stout up top. Uh, He's strong. He's a strong guy. He's a strong guy. His strong voice is matched by his strong upper body. I, I just remember there was an intramural game and he was, it was the students against the faculty. And I didn't know the faculty very well. I just remember somehow in this touch football game, he ended up being tackled, uh, <laughs> but it was, but it was, it was very, it was, it was one of these weird kind of, um, it was one of these weird, it was weird things happened at Bethany. So I remember going for a run once and it was with Larry and then a religion professor named Ron Walden who was good friends with Larry still who left Bethany shortly after I graduated. And I went for a run with them because I used to live in the Grimes' basement and we were running out near, um, is it Castleman's Run that goes out towards the reservoir down in the lower yes. part? Yeah, we were going for a run out Castleman's Run and one of them slipped and fell on some gravel and they were sort of brushing something off. And then we looked up and there was a horse. Like, it was like, this guy's down, he's wounded. I'll give you a horse. It's I will give you a horse. And I, I think one of us may have said 20 bucks if you get on the horse and ride it up. But, but it was just weird. Bethany was just such an odd place where stuff like that would happen. It was also odd that it wasn't that unusual to go running with your professor who wasn't the, the phys ed instructor or, or to have class in their house or to just... It, it was um, it was just a really interesting place, and there were a lot of us. I think the, the student, um, I think the enrollment was maybe twelve hundred when I was there. I think. So, let's talk a little bit more about the so the academic standards on that with with that group because you're talking about some of they these, were tough. They were tough. Of, I mean, Ron Ron Walden tried to form kind of a uh, a book club that was outside of class, um, and he lived where. Um, Chroma Haffey's house was right near the post office. Yep. He lived in one of, they made it into apartments and he lived in one of the apartments and he had this book club. And so Andrea Rock, who we were both senior fellows in the English department, she was one of the people in the book club. They invited students and faculty. And the first book that Ron chose was, was Tales of Genji, which is a Chinese novel that's about 4 million pages long. And, and, we're, and we're trying to read this on top of our other work and I'm thinking, oh my God, this is really hard. And both of us were pretty good academically, but this is really hard. And there's like discussions, but it was really a lot of energy with the professors and it was really good. And the academic stand, the expectations were really good. All I remember is Ron was my, I think I'm probably jumping ahead in where you want to talk, but Ron was the sort of the, 
the outlier on my comps, you know, the non-department guy on my English comps. And I thought, really? You're going you're gonna to give me the guy that asks the tough questions all the time when you're walking down the street. So, but it was, the standards were there. Helen Louise was tough, um, but kind. Um, we used to have senior seminar up in her living room. Um, Larry would have, I remember having a seminar with him on Nathaniel Hawthorne down at his apartment, not his apartment, in the living room of his, um, of his house uh, down in Roseville Lab. Um, Stanley Becker was the physics professor. He was great. I, John Hull was, had started teaching there. I think he might be the only one who's still there. I think he actually, I think he left last year. He okay, last he, year was, he last. just started as a psych professor. So we had a behavior modification. It was demanding, but it was, it was, um, it was, it was demanding. It was, it was, um, but it was fun. I mean, it was, it was, I always got the sense that whether it was you know, in the sciences or in that, I always got the sense that the professors were around. Most of them lived on campus or near campus and they cared about us. They taught us as if they cared about us learning something and they challenged us. Um, and we were at that weird time where we were no longer, you know, sort of the staid and buttoned down late sixties. We were there from like, you know, the, the late seventies. So things were a little bit loose or I must have seemed old to me but he was only in his 30s so I mean they were pretty young and they, they actually had experienced all of the we had so it was an interesting it was just an interesting time to be there well and, and you bring up that they lived in town which kind of goes to the 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 community of what it was and it was easy to go down to maybe see them at their house or have dinner with them and whatnot. Right, right. They, they, um, yeah, it was, and they, and, and uh, a bunch of them, uh, Richard Kennedy, John Taylor, often David Judy, a bunch of them ate in the, in, in, uh, in Benenden Commons. So they would eat dinner there. And I think I was a waiter for a while. So we still had waiters for some of the meals. Um, and so you would meet the professors, when they were eating there, you would see them at the post office. I don't even know if the post office is open anymore, oh, yeah. but we all had a post office box mm -hmm. because it was before email. You know, we'd have, we, we used to go down and we'd meet each other there. We'd meet the professors there. Um, you know, you would be, you would know even the professors who you didn't have in school, you would know most of them, even if you never had them for a course, because we were just around. Um, and then they kind of, they looked after other people, um, I think E. Roberts was the journalism professor years before my time. I think there might be a, like an award or something named his name, but his widow lived in town. And so the, the younger professors who at the time might've been in their sixties were looking after Mrs. Roberts so she could stay in her own house. Mm -hmm. So they would always find a student who would live in, the, in a room in her house to look at, they were just all looking after each other. And I'm sure they had all of their infighting that they kept away from us because there are faculty members, faculty stuff to each other. Yeah, but they were they were just really on the, at least outwardly really kind to us. Now you also brought up that it made it was very easy to to go to the fraternity parties. And you were here at a time where you know you have the Sigma New House in town, you have the Point Breeze mansion up on the Alpha Sig house up in up on Point Breeze. Um, yeah. what was the Sigma social New, yeah, what was the social life aspect? Well, when I was there, when I was there, um, drinking age was eighteen. Um, so it was um, for three two beer. Um, so drinking age for, you'd have to drink a lot of beer to have any effect. But the yeah. drinking age was three two, and so people would sometimes go. I mean, the fraternities used to go. I think into a vela to get their kegs, um, because they had real beer there as opposed to the three two. But there were a lot of fraternity parties. The Sigma Nu House. I'm going to say had the wildest parties when we were there. I don't know how much that changed, um, but each of the houses, the Alpha Sig had the, the Alpha Sigs had the parties that um, expanded into the yard because they had such, you know, they had the carriage house out back. Um, I don't remember them being as wild. I remember them having parties, but I don't remember them being as wild. The Delts had, I think they were the ones that had the heaven and hell party where upstairs would be sort of decorated like heaven and downstairs would be hell and there'd be a shoot. And so the liquor got progressively stronger as you went down in the building. Um, there was a pig roast 
think that was the Phi Taws. The Phi Taws um, and the Lu they had a Luau, I think, right? I, I you know, I, I am embarrassed to say that the only house a luau, that's right, that's right. I don't know if the pig roast, was the pig roast and the luau the same? It might have been the same. I think um, so. I'm I don't gonna... remember, I have no memory of ever setting foot. In, I don't remember ever setting foot in the beta house. I don't know why. Friends were betas, but I have no idea. This was the old beta house before, did it burn down? I be, I don't, I'm, I'm not did sure. Did it get knocked the, down? I think it was knocked down and then they, they built the one that's the there now. House. So I was never in either of those houses, um, but the other houses, and then, Kappa Alpha was just an unusual house. I mean, it looks like was, a hanger. Looks like a it big looks like old... a hanger, right? Yeah. There was a little hanger, and they were the Kappa Alpha house was weird because they were, they still had a lot of the traditions that are just unfortunate, like the the Confederate flag, and they would deliver their their um, invitations to to weekend dressed in the Confederate uniform. I think they used to ride on a horse. When somebody the, would ride a horse, the president would ride up that, on a white like, horse. That's a little inky. That was a little creepy even back then. And I'm glad they don't, I'm assuming they're not there anymore, but I'm hoping the other cop out houses don't do that either. But but that was there. Yeah. So you're you're here and in Bubba's was open. And Bubba's well, yes. was open. I was not known as a big drinker or hanging out at Bubba's. In fact, every time I went to Bubba's, which I did, I would they'd give me a hard time because you know this was like the third college I had gone to and I was determined to do well academically, so friends would just tease me and and um, and like the first thing they would yell is where's your bucks you know it's it was just you know but that but it was Bubba's was open I would go there um, and it was it was when it was still Bubba's you know Bubba was there he was running it was post Frank I wasn't yep. of Frank's time I was of the Bubba's time so Frank's Frank's bar had already burned down the one that was down the street page, page two or that his wife owned that his wife yeah either there were yes that one was gone that was gone and so Bubba's was it there was the barn the barn was under Benedict Commons there was a snack bar kind of there didn't serve liquor just like hamburgers and stuff um that was kind of it there was a Wait. gas station in town for the first time I was there so you were in town when the gas station was still a gas station I think it was there I think he he retired the end of my first year there so yeah so it was still there i think in 74 75 and you had m's which is the for those who don't know it's the german beer gardens you go we could we could use i i i had a car for a time but we also we had chambers and we had ethel's yeah ethel's was there ethel's ethel was great um it was quite sure what the and newspapers and she, I think she had an old like coke machine that kind of you reached into to get the cokes and stuff and she had candy um and but chambers was still the place I mean Harry's done more with it now but it was still the place you went for everything so you as a whole dry clean there if you had dry oh I, I I've been told right in the front you would hang it and they would they would take it get a dry clean and then it would hang back up in the front mm -hmm. right by the I think we're losing, we're, we're struggling with a little bit of connection here. This, this might be cool. Let's, let's take a break. We'll figure, we're going to figure out, uh, we're going to take a break and figure out the connection issue. And then we'll come back okay. out. We'll talk about comps and, and everything that you're doing now. All right. So I have to send it to KJ Karen Dunn with Maple Shades Outdoors. Uh, he's also an alumni of Bethany College, he fraternity brother of mine. He, everything maple, everything that you would want outdoors, he does. He does the turkey hunting. He does the, the deer hunting, how to, how to set a tree stand. Um, but if you're looking for them, you go on, to, on Instagram. It's maple underscore shade dot outdoors. Or do the easier one. Go over to YouTube. Hit subscribe. Maple Shade Outdoors. Don't worry about typing all the dots and the underscores. And then while you're on YouTube, Dingo Talk, hit the subscribe button. But Jeff, we will be right back. I'm going to send it to KJ. KJ, take it away. What's going on, everybody? This is Kieran Dunn, founder of Maple Shade Outdoors. You're currently watching Dingo Talk with my man, Carlo. If you're anything like me and you're really enjoying this content, you should like and subscribe his page. While you're on YouTube, you should probably just head over and like and subscribe Maple Shade Outdoors. Check out our page. Enjoy some videos and some outdoor content. You might as well hop on Instagram, Facebook, follow us, Maple Shade Outdoors. Now that's enough about me. I'm trying to get back and watch the rest of Dingo Talk, so I'll talk to y'all later.
What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. My guest this week is class of 1978, Jeff Seglin, not Seglin, as I may have mistaken in the first part. Uh, you guys might have noticed in part one, towards the end there, we started to have technical difficulties. Uh, Zoom, it's a, it's a learning progress. <laughs> it's, it's certainly been a fun year. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be glad when we can just have people in person again, because that's a... Uh, it's a way easier. It's more on, on the camera. And, but so we left off, we were talking about what Bethany was like in the community and, and fraternity life and everything else. Now we're going to, as we do in part two, we're going to talk about that, that comprehensive exam, that test that we take. Um, so what was comps like for you? Brutal. <laughs> It, um, it, uh, you know, we, we didn't have, you know, shortly after my time, I think it might actually have been the following year was when they started doing the celebration, no, two years later, because um, a friend who lives, uh, a friend who's from Baldwin uh, told me about it, uh, where they would do everything from, you know, have champagne and stuff or bring the guy's car down there and take all of his tires. That was the fun way to celebrate passing comps. That, that started a couple of years after I graduated. The year I did it, um, I took my comps in Helen Louise McGuffey's living room. So, and I had one suit and it was a wool suit and it was May and it was hot. And I walked that, you know, down, whatever that distance, this down the stairs behind the library, then up past the gym and then over to her house on Point Beast Drive. And I was really hot. And I remember doing that. So orals were just intense. The two days of writtens were weird. They had an, an added element for us. We had to take I don't even know if they offer this anymore. You know how people take the GRE for graduate school? They used to have something called a URE in your subject area. So we took a, a standardized URE was the first thing we took, an undergraduate record exam in, I, I think it was English and American literature, just literature. We took that and that was getting graded or tabulated as we were doing the written. So often in between day one and day two, we know we knew what percentile we came out. So one of the best things that happened to me it was terrible for him, but one of the best things that happened to me is I did okay on the URI, much better than I thought I would. And, but a, a classmate got like in the sixth or seventh percentile. So they were convinced that there's no chance they're going to pass. I mean, yeah. that's like nine, like almost, almost the entire universe does better. And you majored in this for four years. So I remember grabbing my notebooks and staying up lots of nights basically redoing classes with there were like two or three of us who would redo classes kind of blending our notebooks or drilling or quizzing or and so we were having to sort of almost teach stuff mm -hmm. to try to make sure that this guy could and he ended up passing and he probably uh, is i'm i know for a fact he's doing very well in life right now um but but that forced us to study in a different way than we would have studied otherwise where we just really thought about this stuff but it was brutal it was a lot of writing um it was uh, they used to make us you know prior to this the only time we took a, a test across i don't know if they did this when you were a student but had a writing qualification test you took when you first came in yep. and that determined whether you were going to be required to take the the required comp writing course or not and i remember taking that and i was the senior fellow in the english department i ended up doing that now i teach writing for a living and i write a newspaper column i flunked my wqt <laughs> um, so i i ended up that was another way I ended up taking a writing course with Larry Grimes as well. But, um, and then I think because I was senior fellow, I helped grade the WPTs when I was a senior, but comps were brutal. And the walk back, we didn't know whether we passed or not um, because they didn't tell you right away. Um, they told you sometime, you know. Well, Gary had told us about a letter that they, they sent you a letter. Um, Joe Curry. Joe Curry was the register at the time, and Joe was a very serious guy. Really, I, I liked him a lot, but he was really serious. You didn't want to cross him. And uh, I remember getting the the letter from Joe Curry, and it told me that I got. I had already known because they they verbally told me in between. I lived in the Grimes's basement, so one day I came up to go outside, and and Larry was there, and I think he might have had a like a bottle of champagne and a couple of glasses and he and Carol said here's the distinction so that's how I found out that so you and they didn't have the 1933 club at the time yet they had not oh, no, that's that's like the last few years so that's like the last few years for that they didn't they didn't have that at all so so I think and that year in English Andrea Rock and I got it and um 
And, um, and then I remember getting the, the official letter from Joe Curry where it said, congratulations on passing um, on comps, comprehensive exams and, um, and getting distinction. And then there was the sentence, this is a big accomplishment for you. And I took that to mean he was shocked, you know, like this is a big accomplishment for you. <laughs> so, but, but Joe, he was very, he assured me that's not what he meant, but we did get the official letter and that's how we found out. It wasn't nearly the kind of celebrating kind of stuff that it is now, which I think is a lot more fun to do unless you failed. Yeah. So now the, since you didn't celebrate, like when I graduated, when the students now that graduate and it's everybody's outside, what was the following week like? So, you know, that it's the senior, senior week. What yeah, was yeah, I think I, I can't remember. It wasn't, it was like stuff. I mean, there was concerts. I mean, Miss Nicholson was still there. So there was always something good going on. There were parties. Um, there was sort of a, like an ability to breathe, you know, after like a week or so of just intense kind of stuff. I mean, even those of us who kind of figured we were going to pass, it was still incredibly intense because it was just, I mean, it was just, it was just bizarre questions sometimes that were just like, you know. Why? Yeah, explicate this poem that's written in a way that no human being could possibly understand it. And, you know, and you'd kind of figure it out and try to, you know, they, they were, they were nice to me on the comprehension. Well, I, they Except were for that extra nice. person that you had in your house. <laughs> I, I had Rod Walden in there and he asked me a question about something about, you know, I was this, I ended up later going to grad school at theology and, and divinity school because, to, because I wanted to study religion and lit. And for me, when I was growing up, the Bible stopped with the Old Testament. So Rana, and we all were required to take the, the religion class, which I had in class, which was great. It, it sort of, but, but I didn't know a lot about the New Testament. And of course, I'm sure Ron's, question was something like well how did this influence this this book of the bible this gospel and i'm trying to think all right what are the gospels which ones are those and he's saying how did this influence that but it was fine they let me talk they asked stuff and i that was where i learned the trick that i still try to do and i still try to encourage students to do which is if you get them talking on uh, during your oral exam and you get them talking to one another and you can sort of get them engaged with one another they will think you're the smartest person ever and it's the smartest conversation they've ever had because all that happened was they talked you know it's, you didn't really say anything they just and of course they you just get them talking but they they were pretty intense they were pretty intense and um and hot and um but it was i think at one point helen louise held up a piece of wedgwood china that was in the form of a pitcher and there was a passage from a wordsworth poem on it and, she, and I think she said, or somebody else who was there said, what is this? And I said, well, that looks like a picture. And, and, and that was it. They, and then they, I think, I think they laughed and dropped it. They, they dropped the that question. Was it. They moved on. They moved on. So was, they said, know. well, we're not getting them on this one. We're going to move on. <laughs> so, but they were intense. They were, they, um, they were, they were, you know, they were as intense as anything that I've done since then academically, because it was a lot. Well, and you teach, you teach at Harvard now. Yeah. Well, I, I try to teach at Harvard. <laughs> the, the, whether or not I'm successful, you have to sort of see down the road and see what the outcome is. So, but, so comps are not, does, does Harvard have a comprehensive exam for their undergrads? Is that? I, we, I, I, they don't have them for the grads. Um, we have, they have a master's thesis, but they don't sit the undergrad. No, the undergrads don't, they can do an honors thesis, but they don't have um, I, I don't know of any place, there's probably other places like it. I don't know of any place that has anything um, like, like that, that in that way where it's so intense over so long a period of time. Um, so you graduated. I did. And, you know, that's why we're here on the alumni tour. <laughs> that's, it. that's it. I did graduate. Um, and you said you went to, to theology school. I took, I actually, first I went to... Um, I worked that summer doing a part-time job, but then that summer I went to something called the Radcliffe Publishing Course. And it was a, an eight-week course at, at Harvard done through Radcliffe, but it was an eight-week course where they taught you everything you needed to know about magazine and book publishing. And then you go on and get a job, presumably get a job in publishing for there. So I did that. 
and it was great. I still have friends. Um, I met my first book agent through there. Um, I still have friends through there. Um, and then I went to work right after that. So that finished in August. In late August, I went to work as a an editor on a series of books on Vietnam for a, a division of Hart Corporation of Anovich. So there was a book, I think it was that series, but I went to work as an editor in, in Boston and then um, applied to grad school for the following year in um, at Harvard Divinity School and went to the Divinity School, which was where I did my work there. So I was taking, um, I was catching up on what I didn't know about everything I should have known for Ron Walden's questions and also taking some literature courses in the yard. And, uh, and it was great. I lived in Ralph Waldo Emerson's room that he had lived in when he was a student. Um, I, um, it was, the classes were great. The faculty was great. The students were great. It was, um, it was just a nice environment. I think Divinity Hall where I lived is now like administrative offices, but it was a great building. Um, and the Divinity Hall is um, just this beautiful Gothic type building with a chapel upstairs, which is where Larry Grimes married me and my wife in that chapel. So it was, um, and, and, and Larry and I have stayed in touch over the year, partly because we've stayed in touch, but also because all of the Ernest Hemingway papers are at the JFK library, which is about maybe, it's right across the, the main drag from my house in Dorchester. So it, it's, um, and he would come and stay here while they would go uh, research the papers there. So we've stayed in touch over the years. And that Bethany connection, it just stays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, been, it's been great. It's been, um, it's been great. So, and he's, um, I think he still comes and does work there because he's still, even though he's retired from Bethany and living in a place that's very snowy in the winter um, in Colorado, um, he still does, he's still involved with the Hemingway Society and still writing on involved. Well, and we know Larry loves being there in the, in the wintertime because he gets all the skiing out of his, out of his system <laughs> for, the, for the year. And... Yeah, it's just, um, when I was, when I vis we visited Larry in, in, in Colorado, we were on, we were using snowshoes to walk around in his backyard. It was a lot of stuff. And then it's, 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 it's far. We flew into, to Albuquerque and then you drive four hours. Just a random direction, and you end up. <laughs> you just yeah. go, and then I'm not yeah. sure I'm allowed to save the town. I don't know if he's in some kind of witness protection program. I don't know if that's a, but so he so, goes so, to Bethany, and now he's not. We're not going to. We're not going to release his location. <laughs> that's, it's like Chuck Norris. You know, you you don't find Chuck Norris, he finds you. Yeah. And that is, if that's not the best definition of Larry Grimes, I don't know what is because. He really does come. He comes and finds you if he needs you. He's in, he's great. I mean, Larry has been so I so I teach now for a living, and um, but even before that, Larry is one of the guys I go to for advice. I mean, one of the things I'm always cognizant of is that I, on my last birthday, turned sixty four. So I'm always you know I teach grad students now, so they're older. They're not that old, you know, not as old as I am. Um, and. I always I always hear Larry's voice in back when I asked him, how do you know when it's time? He says, when the disconnect, the distance between you and the students and the things you care about is too great, then you kind of know it's time. I'm really fortunate now because I teach at the Kennedy School at Harvard, which is the public service school. Mm -hmm. So the things they care about, I care about. They care about public service. They care about making the world better. They care about politics. So it's it's easy to care about what they care about. And I have a great group of students, but that was true of the students I had at Emerson when I, I mean, I was in my forties before I started teaching. So I was a journalist way before that. But when I went to teach at Emerson, they were terrific students, different from the, the Kennedy School students because there's not that public service um, aspect to it. I mean, they do, they do good work, but they're more of a communications school. So you, you talked about that you were a writer. And, and I was an editor, I was a book editor and then I was a magazine editor and um, I was an editor at um, Inc. Magazine, mm -hmm. and I was writing, um, I, I started writing a series of pieces for them on how business people were doing dubiously unethical things. And then I did, was, I was awarded a fellowship to study for a year at Harvard, just before I worked there. While, so I took a leave from the magazine to work on a book on business ethics and help people make ethical decisions. And right around that time, um, the New York Times was redesigning its Sunday money and business section. So this is 1998. This is okay. like late, late summer 1998. And uh, Jim Schachter, who was at the Times at the time, um, was redesigning the Sunday money and business section. He actually called me as a reference to try to get somebody 
who was a friend of mine to move to New York and leave DC. And he kind of wanted to know how can I convince this guy to move? And I said, you'd have to move the times to DC. <laughs> and, um, and then he asked me what I did. And I said, I do this. And he said, well, would you want to, we might want to try writing an ethics, running an ethics column. Would you do one for the prototype? And so it ran in there and it, it's been running in one form or another since then. So that was a monthly uh, column in the business section. And then about five years later, it became a weekly syndicated column from the Times and now it's uh, syndicated from the Tribune. And so they did that while I was off doing that column while I was on leave from the magazine, the owner of the magazine sold the magazine to a company that was moving it to New York. And I wasn't moving to New York because all my stuff is here. Um, and so around that time, Emerson um, offered me a job to go help build a publishing and writing program at there. And again, I had never taught before. So I was kind of trying to figure it out. I was going along and had great colleagues and amazing students. Um, so it was just a lot of fun to do it's it's just incredibly hard work to do but it's um but it's fun and then went to um the kennedy school where they're trying to build out their communications program which is writing and crisis communications and public speaking and digital communications went there in the fall of 2011 and so i teach there and i run a program there and you've been there ever ever since 2011 yes yes well i haven't physically been there <laughs> since last march but yeah yeah, yeah i I've been there since um, 2011. I teach out of the same room. So for, for those of you that are watching, we are getting a Kennedy School class right now because we are in his, your classroom. Well, to be totally honest, and, and none of the, them will be watching this, but to be totally honest, you're hearing me talk far more than I talk in class. <laughs> so, I, uh, I, so I just, um, it, they, are, they are really easy to direct in terms of, they do the work, they show up, they're engaged. You know, you can tell when sometimes they're more engaged than other times, but but they do a lot of the talking because on one of the classes I teach this year, every Thursday, some of their work is being critiqued. So on Thursdays, I more manage the flow and make sure we're on track and then butt in when I have to. Um, so it's, um, again, I'm not sure you can call what I do teaching, but it, I attempt. So I, I actually have somebody that's part of, uh, that was a freshman, I believe the year that you came back to Bethany as a commencement speaker, was that a, not commencement, was it? Is this the one at Commencement Hall? Yes. Yes, this was, no, that was uh, Founders Day. So how did that experience come about? Uh, they called, I think Scott Miller called, who was president at the time and said, would you be willing to come and give a commencement? Uh, well, a, a Founders Day address, and and I said to Scott, I sure I'd love to do it, but I don't know anything about Campbell. I'm not an historian. I'm not a Disciples uh, member. I'm not. And he said, he kind of said it in this way. He said, you know, the fact that I called you indicates I know who you are. <laughs> like so, I know who you are. <laughs> so I they asked me to do it, and then I had found um, one of the things about. Harvard is that it has a lot of stuff. And I found a reference in the internet to something that Campbell had written in one of his um, one of his newsletters or somebody, it wasn't the Harbinger, it was a different newsletter or for somebody's publication on his five, four or five um, tips for writing well or, do, or doing discourse well. And I thought, well, I'll try to use that as the premise. So I thought, well, I don't wanna rely on this internet source for that because I'm always telling students you know, if your mother tells you she loves you, check it out. Um, the, the, uh, so I'm so I, I and the and the um, the Widener Library had a copy. They got me a they caught me a copy and then they digitized it and sent it to me. And it turns out there's actually one more tip than that internet piece. They misquoted him and there was one more tip. So I actually framed the the talk around here's what here's what Campbell says about writing. And there's a version of it out on the internet someplace with some old guy in a robe talking about Alexander. So it was actually great because he actually was talking about stuff from a perspective that I knew. And, um, and it, was, it, was, it was interesting for me to learn more about Campbell than I already knew. I mean, I found his, um, like for example, he's much more, his, 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 um, his beliefs about slavery and abolitionism are much more complicated and tied into some uh, pervasive racist thinking that, that was going on at the time and still going on, but, but, but that never got talked about very much. 
um, until I think actually your founder, the Founders Day speaker this year actually addressed it in his book. So I think it's nice to see that that's, that Bethany's owning its history uh, with all of that. So, I mean, Campbell was clearly anti-slavery. He just didn't think it should be abolished all at once, which is problematic. And I, you know, I, I had the opportunity to still, when I was in school, you still had to come and learn Bethany history and they took you down and the uh, Dr. Cummins actually, you know, the first 150 yeah. years. I, I've gone back to that book a couple times now and nobody will, everybody that heard me just say that nobody when I was a student will convince or will be, they'll be shocked to hear that I read a book because I didn't read books, but um, I actually, I watched a documentary this past summer. You know, we all had a lot of, we had an abundance of free time and there yes. is a, there's a documentary out there on YouTube. It's, I want to say it's like two and a half hours, maybe three hours long. And it talks about his, what I didn't realize about him. Because again, this was Virginia right. when he moved here. Right. And you're right. He had a belief that he did not agree with slavery, but he also didn't want to say, oh no, we need to get rid of it. Right. And, right. and that's something, it's good to see that we're owning the fact that that's yeah, the history. I think it is, and I applaud um, Dr. Rodenberg for bringing this speaker back, um, who who has written his book. Actually, comes at it much more directly even than uh, Dr. Cummins did. Yes. Um, so it's so it's good to see that. So I came back to do that, and that was that was the speech where I talked about some influence that the professors had on me, and then I think people thought I was going to answer my phone when I did this because I stopped at one point and I said. I made a reference to the fact that and there was a professor who had loaned me $20 for gas so I could drive home over Christmas time. And then I reached under my gown and pulled up my wallet and took out 20 bucks and gave, gave it to Larry. <laughs> he, he was sitting there. He was still on the faculty at the time. And he was sitting there and he kept it, but he never, oh, asked, me for, he never asked me for interest. So, so, um, so I, I do think some people thought while I paused, because there's a weird pause, I thought they thought that my phone was ringing. And then of course they knew what I was doing. So it was, but professors did that. I mean, it was- That was, was great to do. Yeah, and I think some of that now, you know, we are more, some of it's, you know, I think it's bad that that's gone away entirely. Some of it's good. I think the boundaries are good to have. I don't think that, you know, I think that um, it's just unfortunate that it's not quite that way anymore, but, you know, things change. I mean, it's, we also didn't have, cell phones I couldn't be talking to you now back then so well and you know that I'm I'm convinced that our technical difficulties are the fact that I'm in Bethany and you know sometimes the internet just goes no stop calm well, down. It, could be, it could be that it could be one too many people has gotten on that bandwidth so who knows if it's on your side or mine um so we've come to a point I asked this question to end each show um and and I can't think of a better question to wrap up our talk with, but if you were speaking to a prospective student or even the current students right now, um, and I'm going to tailor this because normally I ask why division three, but I'm going to tailor that question to if you're somebody that's not at Bethany and you're a prospective student, you're looking, why, what would be your selling point to come to Bethany? Right. And then the second part of the question is for the people here, how do you make Bethany yours? Yeah, well, I mean, unfortunately, I actually have gotten to meet some of the students who are some still there because um, Elizabeth Hull brought some of the honors student up for a conference a couple of years ago, and they visited me at the Kennedy School, and I, I think I fed them and um, got to meet them and have tried to stay in touch with some of them. I think one of them is coming to business school here next year um, at um, Holt International. Um, so I can handle the division three thing too, because my son went to Bethany after I did, and he was, he was an athlete. He swam and he um, ran track. Okay. He was able to, um, I think, I think his, I think his, his swim team had a really good GPA, but I think, so they were on one of those lists. I think they put out those lists, um, but he was able to swim and be much more active in multiple events on the swim team that he wouldn't have been otherwise um, had he not gone to a division three school. Um, track was new to him. I mean, he didn't do track in, in high school at all. He, he went to Boston Latin, um, swam at a club, at Boston Latin, swam at a club. And I think maybe early on there, he played soccer, but track was new to him and he was able to try it and he made the team. So he was able to do that. So for any division three athlete, I think it's an opportunity to get playing time. Um, 
and also there's a respect for the fact that your academics come first. Um, even if you're not going to read a book, the academics come first. Yeah, um, you got to go to class. So for me, I think one of the things that was there is that you can't get lost at Bethany. I mean, there's going to be a type of student who wants to get lost. Um, so a large state university is really good for them, you know, with 20 or 40,000 people. But there are a lot of students who, who just feel lost in that and don't feel like, a, like they're seen. They don't feel like they have any of the attention. They have trouble getting into classes. Um, there's, um, they don't feel like if they need that extra work, they're not getting it from the professor. They're getting it from layers of course assistants or teaching assistants. Bethany doesn't have that. I don't think Bethany still doesn't have course assistance. I think if you have trouble, the student, the faculty was accessible. I mean, some of them are more, you know, harassable and ornery than others, but they always had time and they would make the time if you would put the time in to do it. So I think that that attention was really good mm -hmm. um, there. It's also, um, it's a little less so now, but what, for me, what was really good is that it was isolated, that there weren't as many distractions. Um, I think that the distractions uh, for a lot of students are too many, like so um, at other schools. So Bethany doesn't have a lot of distractions. There's a lot going on, yeah. but it's, it's manageable. And it's very easy to get into Pittsburgh or Wellsburg or Wheeling or any place. I think the Jamboree was still going on when I was there. I don't know if that's Jambo still Jamboree in the hills. Did that still happen? No, there was actually the, what was the thing at the Capitol Theater? There was the Capitol Theater would have like weekly productions in, in Wheeling. Oh, I don't know. There were, there were concerts at the Capitol Theater and there's still the Jamboree. So there's stuff going on. Um, I think for a student now, I think um, if you get a lot of that, you can do what you want to do. Um, you know, you can study what you want to study. You can define um, how you want to study that. You can work with the professors you want to study with. Um, you can, you're working with, a, I mean, one of the things that's really evident after this past year is just how much the place cares about its students and just the lengths they went to. To, to get people back. To get people back and to accommodate them and to recognize that they might be having challenges technologically or, or um, emotionally or physically. It's just been a weird kind of year. So the professors mm -hmm. have gone out of their way. The students have sort of stepped it up. So if, if nothing else, the community is built even stronger. And as you mentioned, about you know internet connections. I'm not sure what infrastructure is like at, at Bethany. I know we used to have a heating plant where if 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 there were like dry spells, there were occasions when there wasn't enough water at the top of the hill. I mean it was it's 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 um but but it's the kind of thing where everything was made to work. Yeah. Um, you know you guys were one of the there were a handful of colleges. I know some of our undergrads went back in person, but we were all remote for this year. I think your undergrads were permitted to be on campus at Bethany. Yeah, they, uh, they, they, I know that Thanksgiving break was the first goal, you know, get right. to Thanksgiving and then we're just gonna, we're gonna pause, finish up the semester there and then we'll come back in. And I wanna say it was, cause now there's no J term. So I right. wanna say it was the, I still think they came back like the second week of January, maybe the third week. Right. And they've been back since. I know, there's, I know there's two weeks left in the semester, roughly. Um, and then, you know, that you have. It's hard for me to tell, but near as I can tell, they've never crossed over from to be in a dangerous zone in terms of people. Mm -hmm. um, I know people have gotten it. They've been quarantined. They've come out, but never a substantial number. I think the biggest number that Bethany had was maybe five. And yeah, it was and like one they person. Up, they put them up down at the old hotel, right? Down at yes. the freshman house. Yeah. 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 So, so it's so it's um, yeah, I mean, it's it's I, I think the college went out of its way to do that. I thought one of the things that was also great about the college and this kind of gets at why it's the place you want to be is. The, the the faculty all got vaccinated, you know, they, they, they made the vaccines accessible because they, they did. And then there were leftovers, apparently, and they offered them to the village. So they took care of the community. It's like. You know, I'm not sure that was always as as strong as it is now, but that real connection. I mean, you see it with you and and, and Jack and Howie and Harry, where there is. I think the college is very aware that we're guests here. Yeah. And I mean, the college may own a boatload of property, but we're but, guests. But, but the but we're guests, and we come and we leave, and you know, we want to make sure that we don't destroy the place in the process, and that we're respectful of people in town, and it's um. So it's so I think it's a great place to do that. And who doesn't love to live in a village with a general store? 
Well, Am I know, getting paid for promoting Harry's now? Am I? No, but I think it's, you know, it's rare that you get that opportunity. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, if you want to go to a place where not every, there's not a bunch of chain stores and there's not all that, I mean, it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of a weird, idyllic kind of community. The next time you're in town, I'll, we'll compensate you. You get a 50 cent cup of coffee, just like the rest of us <laughs> just, like every, just like everybody else, right? <laughs> yeah. um, and I'll take, here, I promise, the next time you're in Bethany, I'll take care of it, because I'll be probably down there having a right. cup of coffee. Um, How well, soon before you're one of the older guys drinking coffee around the pot? I, every day. All right, you're there. All right. I've, I've, you know, I, I graduated in 16, and I think Bob and Harry brought me into the, the coffee crew as a, yeah. the fall of 17. Cups. They have their cups and everything. They don't even have to drink out of styrofoam. I still drink out of the styrofoam because I <laughs> asked Harry if I could bring a cup down. And he goes, why would you want to do that? I said, because I'm already here every day. What do you mean? <laughs> yeah, that's his kind way of saying you're not quite there yet. I'm not old enough to be at the table. I'm not old years. enough to be at the big boy table that's is it. what it that's was. It. That's it. Um, well, thank you very much for being a part of this. Um, this has been the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour, but as you said, I have to send it to Harry uh, so he can tell us everything about the store. And we might have a Jack's fact out there. We, I'm not sure what we got to see if Jack was available this week because, you know, sometimes he's he's got other things he's doing. He's he's doing the carpeting and carpent carpentry, Ooh, words. But this has been the Dingo Talk Alumni Tour. I am Carlo Guadagnino. My guest this week was Jeffrey Seglin, class of 1978. Thank you again for being a part of this. Thanks for having me. And Harry, take it away. Um, this picture the other day drew a lot of conversation. Uh, the original post office in Bethany, somewhere up near where uh, we, we had a little disagreement. Um, Somewhere up there was a where the Bethany house was. Maybe it could be a potentially a picture of the uh, only picture I know that survives of the original chamber store, which is a personal interest to me. And, you know, I, I wasn't going to say anything behind the camera here, but isn't that a, that was a highly or when you and I talked about this show beforehand, that was a highly like. Ah, is it chambers? Is it the chamber store? Is it not? I, I remember because you showed me the picture yeah. and it was. If you're looking at this, where where are you looking? Right. And the background pictures, it's kind of hard to tell. You've just watched another exciting episode of Dingo Talk, recorded in the secret lair deep in the hills of Bethany, West Virginia. Let me give a shout out to my man Don over at Maple Shade Outdoor. He got some great, he's got some great stuff going on over there on YouTube and Instagram. Please make sure you check him out. Also, now available as promised, we have the second edition. Bethany, West Virginia, Mushroom Capital of the World t-shirts, and our Chambers General Store, if we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirts, available in all sizes. So make sure you stop by the store for a t-shirt, breakfast sandwich, our sausage biscuits and gravy, and make sure to check out those daily lunch specials. Now back to you, Dingo. Bye now. You want to know by now. You want to know by now.